If you wouldn't mind reciting with me the Apostles' Creed this morning. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Next is our reading of God's word, if you wouldn't mind opening your Bibles to Mark 5, 1 through 20. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding in the hillside nearby. Send us to the pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there, fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others about demon-possessed man and the pigs. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, No, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he had told them. This is the word of God. Good morning, Refuge. What an incredible Jesus story we just heard. Uh, this is the first time we see Jesus leaving his normal ministry and going to minister to non-Jews in Mark's gospel. 
Jesus heads for Gentile country, and what incredible country it is. Mark tells us that as they came to the other side, and I'm emphasizing that, right, because we should think of this as other in every possible way. It says, there Jesus encounters a man who is the epitome of uncleanness. First of all, he's a Gentile. Secondly, he's filled with demons. The demon calls himself legion. Roman legions were between four to six thousand soldiers. The next thing it says is that he's living among the tombs and in proximity to a herd of pigs. Unclean, 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 unclean. Nothing could be more other or opposite for a Jew. One commentator said that this man is the incarnation of uncleanness, a complete necrophile. He is the embodiment of living death, and his condition can be described as the most dehumanized and wretched individual whom Jesus has yet encountered. John mentioned last week, Jesus is on a mission and the disciples are coming with him through wind and waves. And look where he's going. He is going to the other side. He's going into hostile territory for one individual. At the end of the story, we see that only one person is touched and healed by Jesus. Everyone else sends Jesus away. Jesus, you're ruining our economy. You're ruining our lives. Get out of here. We don't want you. So Jesus goes for one soul, one person who is enslaved in darkness. Jesus is invading enemy territory in order to reclaim it for the kingdom of God, in order to reclaim one person for the kingdom of God. This is incredible. So the whole story is missionary in nature. Jesus has purposely come to the other side of the lake, as we saw last week, through wind and waves, through danger, toil, in order to redeem and rescue one enslaved, tortured soul and reclaim him as a son of God. Now, though this man has superhuman strength and seems to possess great power, he's also the possession of this demonic power. And as we read, it has left him naked, isolated, and self-destructive. We need to pause and just think about this for a moment. It's interesting to note that the New Testament never tells us what causes or brings about demon possession. Historically, the church has connected it to grievous sins, but there actually is no biblical evidence for this. Jesus never rebukes those who are demonized. He never tells them to repent and never tells them that their sins are forgiven. This is really interesting to note. Those who are demonized are in need of deliverance. Demonized individuals are victims of an evil power that requires a stronger power to deliver, to liberate them from demonic oppression. We'll talk a little bit more about this approach uh, further on in our study. Now, as modern Westerners, I think it's easy for us to dismiss things like demon possession and the supernatural as the superstition and ignorance of generations past, but... That is to assume a modern post-enlightenment view of the world. Is that correct? Is that the way the world actually is? 
If we take an honest look at the world, there are things that happen in this world, we call them forces of nature, that cannot be explained by science. And there are evils done by humans that go far beyond the effects of nature and nurture. There are probably more morbid forces at work in history than, and consciousness than we know, and any honest, rational account of life requires the inclusion of both the mysterious and the unknown. One commentator, McKenzie and Russell, put it this way. They said, ancient opinion ascribed to demon possession any disease which involved loss of control, epilepsy, delirium, convulsions, nervous disorders, mental derangement, and which, therefore, suggested the presence of an invading power. Modern medicine can provide other explanations for most of the symptoms, but this does not mean that demon possession can be dismissed as outmoded science. To Jesus, all diseases were caused by Satan, though not all by possession, so that with each of his cures, he was driving further back the frontiers of Satan's dominion. And I believe that that's how we should see the whole work of Jesus in Mark. Remember a few weeks ago, I talked about how Mark's gospel is about a cosmic conflict. Mark's gospel pictures a world filled with demonic power and presence that needs to be cleansed. It needs to be healed. And Jesus has come to overthrow the kingdom of darkness and the demonic realm that have infected the creation. Jesus comes to bring humanity and the creation into a restored, cleansed, healed new creation in the kingdom of God. Now, the man possessed by legion is obviously an extreme example of demonic possession and oppression, but the reality is we live in a demonically influenced world whose only hope is the exercising power of Jesus. It's interesting to note that Mark records Jesus' power over nature in our previous story. There, the wind and waves, he tells them, shut up, be still, and they are calmed in a moment. Here, Jesus' power is seen over the supernatural. And in the following stories, we have Jesus' power over disease and death. These are stories of Jesus's uncontested power and authority over every realm of creation. That is what Mark is showing us. The question I think we need to ask ourselves is, has anything changed? Has anything changed about Jesus, about his power, about his authority? Or maybe as Jesus asked the disciples in the last story, where is our faith? Do we truly believe that Jesus possesses uncontested power and authority? Because that's what this story is really all about. In the story, we're told emphatically by Mark of the power that possesses this man. Notice it says, no one can bind him. Then Mark adds, not even with chains. It was attempted again and again, but he broke the chain in pieces and ripped them apart. And if we haven't gotten the picture yet, again, Mark adds, no one had the strength to subdue him. 
the man here is fully captive to the powers of evil and beyond all human help, beyond all hope. That's what we are supposed to understand about this man. We should see in this man, not just, as I said earlier, the extreme picture of demon possession, but the effects of all idols, ideologies, philosophies, and addictions that overtake our bodies powers that we give ourselves to that overwhelm us, anything other than the power or authority of Jesus. All powers, idols, and ideologies, they promise relief, hope, power, security, and salvation, and they cannot deliver, and they will always leave us helpless and hopeless in bondage just like this man. But notice that before the presence of Jesus... The man's demons are powerless. It's fascinating to read this. It's not even Jesus' words. It's literally Jesus steps out of the boat, and it's like this demon-possessed man has a sixth sense, just senses that Jesus is present, right? He sees Jesus from afar and comes charging at him. I just imagine how the apostles must have felt, right? Like we survived the, the sea, we made it to shore, and all of a sudden comes this raging demon-possessed man running at them, and he throws himself down. Down before Jesus, and he screams out with a loud voice, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Now, this is an incredible irony. The demon answers the question the disciples ask in the last section Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? And here we have the demoniac that's like, Jesus, the Son of God. It's this irony that the demon recognizes the person and authority of Jesus. Now, we need to note the demonic legion acknowledges Jesus' identity with this honorific title, Jesus, Son of the Most High God. But it's not that he's trying to gain mastery over Jesus or trying to, you know, uh, bargain with him. He recognizes Jesus' complete superiority and knows that any possible confrontation is completely pointless. In Mark's gospel, we've already seen Jesus cast out a demon out of an individual, but what happens when he comes against a legion? Fascinating. There's no contest. In Matthew's gospel, there's a record of this story as well. The demons there beg to go into the pigs, and Jesus says one word in the Greek, move. And in an instant, the demons fly out of the man into the herd of pigs and run down the side of the hill and are drowned in the sea. And in the very next scene, we see the man sitting clothed and in his right mind in the presence of Jesus. Don't miss this. No one can bind him, not even with chains No one had the strength to subdue him but Jesus. This is what Mark is trying to get before us. None but Jesus can deliver from this great power that possesses our world, that possesses humanity. None but 
Jesus. If we give our heart, if we give our life to anything else, we will be possessed, we will be used, and we will be left isolated, abandoned, alone, self-destructive. None but Jesus can deliver is what Mark wants us to understand. So what then does that mean for our lives and the things that often overpower us, the things that grab for our loves? We talk about this often, church. There is a war of loves going on in our hearts. There's a war of loves going on in the world. Different narratives seeking our attention, our love, our devotion. None but Jesus can deliver. Jesus is the only one who will love you no matter what. He will forgive you if you fail him. He will never leave you or forsake you. He will take away your shame. He will give you honor. He will release you from fear and bring you into his power. He will cleanse you of guilt and make you innocent. Only Jesus. Then what does this mean for our city and region that is in darkness and is demon-possessed? There is a demonic presence in our city, in our county, in our region. The only hope, according to this gospel, is the presence and power of Jesus. Are we with Jesus? Are we with him in this mission? Will we bring his salvation, his power and presence to those who are oppressed and enslaved? I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but are we at this place right now where we're questioning the power and relevance of Jesus and the gospel to the issues of our culture in the world? Usually when we're doing this, the problem is that we have settled for a gospel that is less than what the gospel in fact claims to be. In the book of Colossians, Paul clearly lays out a much more fuller gospel than we're probably used to hearing. It's not just that Jesus saves guilty, sinful people from judgment or from hell and that we get to go to this safe place called heaven forever as if sin was the only issue of humanity. No, the gospel is bigger and more holistic than that. Uh, one writer in particular, he calls it the three-dimensional gospel. Kind of cheesy, but profound, actually, when we think about it. This comes right out of Colossians. Paul lists three ways that the gospel brings salvation. Listen to this. Number one is fear versus power. Every one of us are living in a world that is subjective to demonic power. We live under this fear. This is more manifest probably in some of the African countries. We know it as animism. We fear the powers that be. We fear our ancestors, and we don't want to dishonor them because it could bring a curse and these things upon us, right? Well, Paul tells us in Colossians 1.13 that Jesus Christ has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Jesus is the uncontested champion over the powers of this world. The second thing Paul tells us in Colossians 1.21 is that Jesus has taken those who were filled with shame, those who are unclean, those who are outsiders, and he has brought us in. He has taken us from a place of shame and given us a place of honor. Family members seated at the table of God, ruling and reigning with Christ. Listen to what he says here. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. 
Jesus doesn't just shame us in order to cancel us and forget us. No, he reveals the shame. He exposes that. Yes, of course, but only that he might bring us in, that he might cleanse us of that shame and give us a place of honor in his family. And lastly, one that we know well, the gospel speaks to guilt versus innocence. We are guilty. We are sinners. We have not done what we should have done. We have not lived as we are. We have not loved God supremely. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. There are sins of omission. There are sins of commission. We have rebelled against God. We have turned our backs on him. We have not been thankful. And Colossians 1.22 says that Jesus has done all this. He's delivered us. He's brought us in in order to present us holy and blameless and above reproach, above accusation, before him. This is our message about God's holistic salvation and rescue. And it is the church's task to bring this news. It's disciples' task to bring this news into the context of the life of the individuals and community around us. Church, this is where Jesus goes. And we have to reconcile with that. This is where Jesus is going in this story. Are we with him? Mark has already told us that Jesus sends his disciples out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. Are we with him? Are we on Jesus' mission? And we need to note, if we are, we need to note that Jesus will often take us where we do not want to go, where we would not choose to go. Jesus will not run from the fight. No, instead, Jesus runs right into it. He runs into the eye of the storm. And I truly believe as the church in America, we are often tempted to run away. We're often tempted to gravitate towards people who might agree with us about morality and all these things. We're tempted to move out of dark Demonic regions like the Bay Area, like Sonoma County. But guess what? Jesus' people are called to the fight, just like Jesus. This is not what we see Jesus doing. As I mentioned a moment ago, he goes straight into the eye of the storm to rescue people we might consider too far gone uninterested, hostile, dangerous, unclean, faithless, and hopeless. This is the work that our Savior does. He goes right into the eye of the storm. Now, speaking of that, that Jesus runs right into the midst of hostile territory into the eye of the storm, behind the scenes of this story, there's actually a bigger picture being painted. It would not have been lost in the first readers that this is a story about Rome and the power behind it. Why on earth does this demon call himself Legion? Referring to his oppressor and possessor. This was the name of the Roman cohorts that came by land and sea and conquered the land of Israel. Whoever got in their way was crushed by their power. None could overpower them. None could chain them. None could bind them. They're pigs. They're unclean Gentiles. They are Satan incarnate. Are you catching on? Are you following with what Mark is doing here? So how then will the Son of the Most High 
God deliver from these oppressors, from the Roman oppressors? Again, Mark's gospel, it's not in the way that we might think. It's not even like this story. It's not with a single word, but it is with the whole of Jesus' being that he will deliver Israel from the powers that be, from the power, I would say, behind the power of Rome. Listen to this. Jesus will become like and take the place of this demonized and afflicted man. And at the climax of Mark's story, Jesus himself will end up naked, isolated, outside the city, among the tombs, shouting incomprehensible things as his flesh is torn apart on the cross by his Roman torturers. And it is there that a Gentile outsider declares, this is the Son of God. And this is how Jesus will deal with this evil oppressor the oppressor behind the power of Rome and every power since. N.T. Wright says, Jesus comes to share the plight of the people, to take legion's place, to let the enemy do its worst to him, to take the full force of evil on himself and to let others go free. Man. Jesus, what a savior, that he would do this. You know, sometimes in the name of mission, in the name of getting the message of the gospel out, we appeal to the Imago Day, right? Well, people have been made in the image of God. They're worthy of dignity and respect. They're worthy to hear the gospel. People are enslaved and subject to sin and bondage and in need of rescue and so, fo- so on and so forth. And all that is true. But we're not sent because people are worthy. We are sent. We are commissioned by God because Jesus is worthy. Remember what Paul says there in Philippians 2. Therefore, he is highly exalted and he is given the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because he is worthy, he's given the name above all names that everyone should know and should confess that he is Lord. We're sent because Jesus is great, because his love is great, because his sacrifice is great. That's why we're sent. Leslie Newbegin said, if God has done what the Bible says he has done, then our response should be to witness to his love and ask, how can I glorify God? So that there may be throughout the world those who turn their faces to God and give him thanks and glorify him. The glory of God is the purpose, the goal of mission, and our one aim is that we should praise and glorify him. To make what he has done, no to the ends of the earth. Now, oftentimes, right, we're fearful. It's beyond our ability and power. But just like last week, Jesus is in the boat. He's not afraid. Jesus is standing for legion and this unprecedented power, and he's not afraid. Remember, Jesus goes with us. He has sent us, but he goes with us. 
Now, as our story comes to a close, we see that the townspeople who have come out to see what has happened to the legion and the pigs, they find the man clothed and in his right mind. And like the disciples in the last section, it says, they are afraid. Now, they were afraid of legion. They wouldn't pass through this region anymore because he was frightful. But now they see a power even greater, and they are afraid because they have come into the presence and power of true authority, the presence of Jesus. Now, Jesus grants their request, but notice Jesus leaves, and the man begs that he might go with Jesus. And notice what Jesus says, no, Go home and tell everyone what the Lord has done for you. It's the only time Jesus encourages someone to spread the news about him. And it says, the man went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, that's the ten Gentile cities, how much Jesus had done for him. Jesus says, go tell people what the Lord has done. This man goes and he says, this is what Jesus has done for me. Again, Mark is telling us, Jesus is the Lord. And it says, as he did this, everyone marveled. This man's radical transformation called, caused people to marvel. It caused them to wonder. And this man becomes the first apostle to the Gentiles. Sorry, Paul, the office was already taken. When I read this story, about this man, about Jesus' great power and authority, about Jesus cleansing him, setting him free, putting him in his right mind, about this man's testimony, I just think, Holy Spirit, do it again. Holy Spirit, do it in our city. Holy Spirit, do it with those that we see day in and day out who are afflicted, who are isolated, who are self-destructive. Do it again. Lord, sweep through our city. Jesus, do not pass us by. Holy Spirit, do it again. Now, I've taught through this text from the perspective of disciples of Jesus, going where he goes, bringing the power and presence of Jesus to bear upon the darkness. But let's not forget that we ourselves are susceptible to demonic influence and false narratives, as I mentioned earlier. Demonic influence and false narratives that would get us to put confidence in any power other than the power of Christ, or to fear and to forget the power of Christ and the gospel. So this word, this story is also for us. We also are in need of bringing our lives back into line with the truth of this story and the biblical story of Jesus's uncontested power and authority over every realm of creation. Church, I would encourage you today, as you reflect on this message, Get out a notepad, get out a pen, and begin to write what you fear. What makes you anxious? Write those out and bring them into the light of Jesus, the uncontested champion of the world, the one who nailed the principalities and powers, the powers behind the power to the cross in his suffering and his death. Name those 
and bring them in subjection to the name of Jesus. Declare the name and authority and power of Jesus over these fears, over these anxieties. That's what we need to do as God's people. We need to remind ourselves again and again of our uncontested champion of the greater than David who slew the great demonic giant and has set his people free. I'll close with this from Colossians chapter 1. Paul says, He, the Son, is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created. Things on heaven, excuse me, things in heaven and on earth, visible and, and invisible, thrones or powers, rulers and authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. The things we see, the clear and present danger, the unseen realm. All were created by him, and he is over and above all things. Paul goes on, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blameless and free from accusation. Listen, church, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in this gospel. What is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but we belong both body and soul to God our Savior in Jesus Christ. That he holds us no matter what, through life, through death. He is the uncontested power and authority. May this bring rest and peace to our souls, and then may it bring boldness to tell of our uncontested Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see Open our ears to hear. Open our hearts to receive the truth that there is power in the name of Jesus. That none can deliver. Only Jesus. That those who hold to idols forsake their own mercy Bring us back under the power and authority of our Savior. Give us boldness as Jesus had boldness to face the powers that be, to give himself on the cross to redeem us. Give us that same boldness, Lord, as we go into the storm, as we go into the darkness, as we walk this demon-possessed region. And Lord, may it be reclaimed for the kingdom of God. Holy Spirit, visit us and cast out the demonic stronghold and set captives free, we pray. We ask this in the name of Jesus.
Amen.